as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. He uh, looked up Dr. Ray Perryman. Um, just kind of curious uh, what... We'll what they say about him online, founder and CEO of the Perryman Group, which is headquartered in Waco. Uh, and it says, I'd forgotten he has a, a doctorate in economics from Rice, Rice University, Rice Institute, uh, which brings up the question, Dr. Perryman, I know you've thought about it. Why does Rice play Texas? <laughs> it's one of the great trivia questions of all time was, was, was that one. As I'm sure you know, that was literally the statement that, immediately before president Kennedy said we choose to go to the moon and do the other things not because they're hard because they about because they're easy but because they're hard the previous yeah. hard thing he had, had said was why does rice play texas and uh, right. for for many years they haven't played texas so I guess. <laughs> why do they beat their head on actually uh, for those of us of some years we remember when that game was a good game because rice any year rice could beat texas um yeah they, likely, they did have it could they, they absolutely did have their moments. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I was looking that was at during, uh, that was not during the time I was there, though. <laughs> I was looking at the Quorum report, and there's an article like linked from the Houston Chronicle. Uh, Dow Chemical is going to uh, hopes to put in a four small scale gas cooled nuclear reactors uh, north of Corpus Christi. That I guess that industrial right. complex which is building up. Uh, first time that's happened in a long time. What do you think about that? And what is it? Does it say anything about the health of the Texas economy? Well, one thing that it, one thing it's it, it's talking about is one of the one of the ways to improve on the climate situation that we're trying to deal with while still, the world would still have enough energy is to expand the use of nuclear. And that this proposal is one that's getting a lot of attention because it would be one of the first such projects. And there they are smaller plants. They even make a nuclear technology now that they've prototyped in Europe where they can build on about four acres. They can build a plant that's wow. big enough to run an oil field and reprocess all the water continuously so you don't have to reuse, uh, uh, re- don't have to uh, per- uh, continually use the water. Yeah. So there's a lot going on with nuclear right now. Uh, but, I, but as far as what it says about the Texas economy, uh, I mean, Texas is obviously an, an oil and gas state and has been for many, many years, but we're also the leading producer of wind, we're the second leading producer of solar and one of the fastest growing. We've got more carbon capture technology than just about anyone. We we, we are seeing some growth in, in efforts to grow the nuclear side, hydrogen, uh, blue ammonia, many other things. So Texas is emerging as, as really a leader in all types of energy, which I think bodes very well going forward. Well, I, I told you I, we wanted you to take a look at our, our, the, the country's performance this year and then what you think for next year. And this, I guess, is against the backdrop of the, the, the unce- unceasing and incessant talk about Bidenomics. It's not working, blah, whatever. So what do you think? Well, but basically, I think the main thing that's not working about Bidenomics is, is their PR. <laughs> because if you just look at this year 
from a perspective of how many jobs have been created, how much inflation has come down, and 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 uh, how much output has grown. I mean, we had over five percent growth in output the last quarter. All of those things uh, point to a a very healthy economy, an economy that's been doing quite well. Uh, but uh, but there is a, a perception. I think part of it is the fact that uh, that we did have so much inflation a year or so ago, and it takes people mm-hmm. a while to adjust to that. Uh, and and uh, I think uh, you know a number of things like that, and obviously things disruptions in the economy, which can come from things like the these the wars and that sort of thing, have also played a role. But if you just look at the raw numbers, uh, there's a good story to tell about what the economy did in in 2023. I think I remember when. Uh, Links in the uh, the uh, supply chain were prices were going up, up and up and up. And it was said at the time when they finally fixed this, but prices won't come down because they never come down. And that, that seems to be I mean, that's a cynical thing, but it seems to be true, too. Yeah, generally, generally speaking, price, it's very rare that you have price declines of any significant degree. In fact, if we had if we had an ultimate deflation, which people have t- people sometimes talk about, that would be the that would be a much worse problem than inflation. If you stop and think about it, deflation would absolutely grind an economy to a halt because nobody would do anything because they think it'd be cheaper to do it the next month and cheaper to do it the next month and so forth. Yeah. But uh, but that is something people don't always understand. Inflation is the rate of increase in prices. So once you get to a new plateau, you, the, the issue is, generally speaking, how much are you going to increase from that plateau, not going back down? Now, you do have some commodity prices that fall. We've seen some food prices fall. We've seen gasoline prices fall quite a bit. But generally speaking, uh, most things get baked into the economy. What do you think is um, likely to be the inflation rate in 2024? And then what's... Um What's a decent rate of inflation, assuming that we don't want zero inflation, we don't want deflation? I don't, I don't know what's acceptable or what do you think is going to happen? Well, the Federal Reserve's had a target rate of 2% for, for a number of years, for about 15 years now, uh, and that's what they're hoping to see. I'm, I'm thinking we're probably going to see something in the 2 to 2.5%, 2 to maybe 3% range, something in that general range, which is very much an acceptable rate of inflation uh, for an economy to have. Because, again, I think you can see the problem that starts with deflation. In fact, one of the biggest concerns in the world economy right now is that China is starting to show some, some indications they might go into a deflationary spiral. But when you do that sort of thing, it, it really, as I say, it's a, much, it's a much more harmful thing for the economy than inflation. I think ideally we'd all like to see relative price stability. Uh, but, but on the whole, uh, inflation, a modest amount of inflation, certainly, is not anywhere near as severe a problem as deflation. Dr. Ray Perryman is, um, that's the Perryman in, in the Perryman Group, uh, which does economic consulting of all all kinds, uh, including down here. Um, Absolutely. What, what um, let's talk about oil, the oil and gas sector. I saw something today, although I didn't read the story about uh, new rules regarding methane, and it's really going to hit, this was not in a political publication, but it says it's really going to hit Texas hard because we're, so big in that. Um, what, what do you think? What, what sector is going to lead the Texas economy? Because uh, uh, at your website, I'm going on and on. At your website, you have predictions about market behavior in the top Texas markets, top 10 markets. And uh, McAllen Edinburgh Missions is going to go up 1.7%, if I got this right, projected annual growth. Right. Yeah. In terms of employment, that, that's, that's correct, which is a good solid uh, performance number. We're seeing uh, 
Uh, yeah, the, 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 the situation with methane, a, a challenge we're facing right now is, if you look at the recent report issued just last month by the U.S. Department of Energy, it says under any scenario you can imagine we're going to need more oil and natural gas in 2050 than we, than we need today in the world, and consequently we're going to have to produce more, yet at the same time they keep doing things to make that production more difficult. And while we do have to deal with the climate issue, it's an important issue, uh, we're going to, one aspect that's going to have to be producing oil and gas cleaner and capturing more of the carbon and emissions and that sort of thing is going to have to be part of that strategy. Things like this new methane rule, again, there, there's, there's legitimate issues there that need to be addressed. But, but I think we need to be very careful that in the process you don't, you don't shut down the oil and gas industry because, frankly, the, wor- the world inter- the world market mm-hmm. literally can't function without, without oil and gas right now. We're going to need more in 2050 than we need today. Uh, and th- this is not a question that's, that's designed to poke at Gov- President Biden, but w- isn't this a weird time to be talking about increasing the expenses or starting a fight over that, uh, over oil? At the same time, there's this ferocious war in the Middle East, which is disrupting, well, disrupting over there, and was also disrupting uh, an attempted denouement uh, or rapprochement whatever, uh, between Israel and Saudi Arabia, like the war was designed to screw that deal up. Absolutely. I mean, right now, the administration is, it's an interesting uh, situation they find themselves in, is they're they're literally almost begging the oil and gas industry to produce more at the same time Mm -hmm. they're passing laws to try to shut it down long term. And obviously those investments require a long term situation. But if you look at the world situation right now, in sort of uncertainty, you have our a proxy war with with Iran that's taking place in Syria. You have the the very real war with Israel and Hamas, and the very real war with Russia and the Ukraine. All of which the common denominator is they're all within a rock's throw of of major oil and gas deposits. And so there's a lot of uncertainty in the energy markets right now. So this is really not a time to be worth trying to curtail U.S. supplies, particularly when you look at the global demand situation. So yeah, there is there is some working at cross purposes here that's taking place right now. Uh, in in the policy uh, arena, and I will tell you, I I, I gave a, some testimony to to Congress about oh a couple of months ago where where I said precisely this same thing uh, to a large to a large group of members of Congress. So it's not something I'm you know, I, and I and I mm-hmm. try not to be partisan, but but these policies are just are just inconsistent at the moment. I I went to an event. Uh, last night, a guy, uh, an Orthodox Jew who used to work for George W. Bush, and he was talking, he was giving, he was praising uh, President Biden, you know, being an old-fashioned Democrat. You and I know what that means, but it was uh, whatever their economic, their domestic policy views were, they were staunch. They were staunch in, in standing up for Israel and I guess the cause of freedom around the world. And he said, this guy said that um, he, he had rejected some speech, some proposed statements from his speechwriters, and that uh, you get the impression that he wants one thing, but the bureaucrats, the people in the bureaucracy, are producing something else, which is contrary to that, or slow walking things that he wants. Do you have any in, insight in? in oh, don't answer that, Doctor because my producer just shouted in my ear, and it was not a pleasant thing he shouted. Um, thank you very much, Doctor Ray Perryman. This is the Nine Five Six Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Nine Five Six Drive Home on News Talk Seven Ten KURV and KURV.com. 
You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. They're running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURB and KURB.com. Here's Davis. You know what won out? Scott Braddock is uh, editor of the Quorum Report at QuorumReport.com. And uh, it, it's got the lowdown on what's happening at the state capitol. Yeah. And uh, Scott's one of the, I don't know, one of the news hounds, uh, which is a which is a high compliment. And we want to talk about, and I've been saying the Nazis and the Republicans. It. Now, to some people, those are one and the same. We we all know people who, who recur. In fact, there I was listening people. to. Yeah. So, so yeah. but what happened to the state Republican Executive Committee, which is, um, I'm not sure how much authority they have, but they represent the Republican Party. They're elected mm-hmm. by Republicans. Yeah. And they, to me anyway, went off the rails last week. They did. And, you know, this was all born out of a controversy that is a couple months old here. When you had earlier in the year, uh, you had uh, the head of this group called Defend Texas Liberty Pack. And by the way, you ever see a movie called Lord of War? Yeah, sure did. You remember when he's talking about how the different, um, you know, the groups... Uh, in certain countries around the world um, will have noble sounding names, but they're really just basically terrorists. <laughs> so a lot of the, the groups will have names like, you know, the People's Liberation Army. Oh, yeah. Like that. You look around Texas and it's not that different, right? You have these groups like Defend Texas Liberty or Empower Texans. It's something that's supposed to sound great and appeal to everybody, but really they're just right wing enforcement groups and they go around trying to scare Republicans into doing certain things. And this group, Defend Texas Liberty, back, is funded largely by West Texas billionaires. Tim Dunn, Ferris Wilkes, those are the guys who are really writing a lot of the big checks here. And they, they have the a particular who, view of what they want to happen yeah, to state government, and they're putting their money right. where their the, mouth is. Yeah, and they are. And the, the guy who runs it or had run it day-to-day for them took a meeting with an avowed Nazi sympathizer, a guy who has said, quote, Hitler was pretty cool. Yeah. Close quotes. Saw that. Um, and says it and doesn't say this with any, it's not a comedy act. He thinks it. At least that's the way everybody perceive, perceives this guy. And this guy named Nick Fuentes. And most people never even heard of that guy before. I will I will concede that. But this is really royal the Republican Party. And here, here's what it was. After that meeting, there was a push, a good faith push by some Republicans who said, hey, you know what? We ought to at least declare as a party that we don't associate with Nazis. And so that proposal was put forward this weekend, and it failed at the State Republican Executive Committee. It was a close vote. It was a narrow vote, but the proposal failed. And you had the chairman of the Republican Party, Matt Rinaldi, who's a former state representative from North Texas. Rinaldi was questioning whether the party needed to take a stance like this. He said, well, I don't, you know, some of these terms, uh, terms like tolerate seemed vague to him that terms uh, like anti-semitic seemed vague anti-semitic is and, not vague tolerate maybe you know we could uh, argue right he's, he's an attorney that's what lawyers do right argue about 
all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, not not a good look. It turned into uh, national headlines where it's uh, where, you know it, in the in the national presses of the Texas GOP mm-hmm. won't distance itself <laughs> from known neo Nazis. Well, you know, you got to think about this stuff. You don't want to go off half cocked. You know, maybe, maybe you sure. regret denouncing the Nazis um, next week if you denounce them. Now, I think what what's really do you, going do you on believe here, that there are a bunch of Nazi lovers? I mean, let's cut to the chase. Here's what I believe: I believe that at the Republican Party of Texas, they don't want to alienate the people who have been giving them a party a lot of money, and those are those West Texas billionaires that we mentioned. Those are the folks who run that group and, and have funded that group, Defend Texas Liberty. And so they don't want to, you know, c- you know, cut ties with them. But they've never, those that, guys have never, those funders have never been, I've not seen anything that, that uh, considered, tax them as liking Nazis, defending the Nazis, any of that. Now, I've seen none of that. And um, for, for Tim Dunn in particular, who has written so many of the checks over the years for challengers in Republican primaries. Uh, to try to take out Republicans in those primaries. Tim Dunn, it was reported when he first met with the former Speaker of the Texas House, Joe Strauss, um, they had a conversation about you know conservative policies and trying to work together and all of that. But at the end of the meeting, Dunn told Strauss, who was Jewish, that the only people in Texas that should be in Texas government, the only people who should be in those positions of power, they, those should all be Christians. Yeah, he told that to Strauss's face, and the back backstory yeah, that was the yeah for people is that the Strauss family, uh, long time in San Antonio, have been stalwart funders of and supporters of Texas Republican Party for years. And then some people yeah. say, "Well, that doesn't make a hill of beans." But uh, w- were you there? I thought Harvey Kronberg told me he was there and saw it. Somebody that he, that, that he saw, saw him say that to Strauss. Yeah. No, I no, it was. The information that I had was secondhand, that that's what, okay. uh, what Dunn had said. But Dunn's never um, denied that he said that. It, the vote to... And he certainly has a... And he and those... And I would say he and the, the Wilkes brothers certainly have what what is called a Christian nationalist view of politics, which isn't, which isn't a Christian view of politics. The Christian nationalism is a whole different thing, right? Yes. It's to the exclusion of, rather than... Rather than including folks like you know our Jewish neighbors and others, it's it's to to crowd those people out and have only Christians running things the, the, and, to, and to get rid of the separation of church and state completely. Yeah, yeah the view is that uh, the founding founding fathers and mothers, a few of them, uh, were were, were uh, God established the United States as a beacon of Christian hope, and they were overtly. Um, Founding a, they were founding an overtly Christian nation. It's very controversial, and there's not much, as I understand, there's almost no e- evidence that all those guys. That's what they really wanted. They wanted, I think, they wanted a country where people can come and pursue their uh, pursue their religion as they wanted, mm-hmm. without inflicting, without getting on somebody else's nerves. Um, with, well, I'm sorry, without founding documents. That's what's in um, the founding documents. But you know, as far as this deal with the Texas Republican Party. It is really disappointing to see. And I saw where the former vice chair of the Texas Republican Party, Cat Parks, yeah. who was elected at the same time as Alan West, who's no liberal, right? When he was the chairman mm-hmm. of the party, um, former vice chair Parks said that she was, she said, well, how in, how in God's green earth did they not 
just declare that we don't associate with Nazis. Yeah. It would seem like, but here's the thing, you know, we talk about all this stuff and try to figure out the nuance of different issues. You know, as a talk radio host, you do that hours on end, right? Yeah. And, you know, at the quorum report or online and Twitter and whatever else, spend hours trying to explain all these different things to folks. But this one should be easy. We don't associate with Nazis. That should be easy politics. Yeah. And, and in this day and age, it turns out it isn't. Do you, the vote was the, the vote not to do that was narrow, it was about 50 50. Yes. I think it was 32 right. to 29 or something. That's, that's correct. Mm -hmm. You think they'll go back and fix that? I mean, the, what, what I would have told them is think of the headlines this will generate. Don't, don't right. think of what you want. What's the headlines going to generate? Lieutenant and Governor Patrick, yeah, well, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, who you remember and we've talked about, he accepted three million dollars mm -hmm. from that same group that had that you know had that meeting with the mm -hmm. neo-Nazi guy. Patrick came out over the weekend and said that what the Texas Republican Party had done was unacceptable to him. He said regarding today's votes by the SREC, I'm glad they took a strong stand in support of Israel and anti-Semitism, yeah. but then he said that it was not acceptable to him that that they didn't take a stand against these folks who are praising Hitler and the Nazi regime. Uh, Patrick said that he hoped that at the next meeting of the State Republican Executive Committee, which would be early next year, he hopes that they will correct this and take a different vote. Yeah, may maybe the next story you write should have a, a one-word lead a paragraph. Uh, you know, Adolf Hitler's got a bum rap. Period paragraph, and just see if you can get it past your editor. Wait a minute, you are the editor. No, I have a, I have a sixth sense of humor, and uh, that's what I always say. You know, Hitler, he's been mis misunderstood. No, he hasn't been misunderstood. And there yeah, are that people, seems to be settled. Th there are people who today who think like that. Whether they're national socialists in Germany, I don't know. But there are people who want to exterminate other races. And well, you need it's uh, it's uh, this guy Nick Fuentes is a young guy. I'm not sure yeah. if he's um, even in his 30s. He looked he looks like yeah. he's late 20s, early 30s, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of young people who hear about these things, and you know, I'm I'm 43. I wasn't around for World War II or anything, but you know, you have you have a very young generation who doesn't know anything about any of that. Right. Yeah. They didn't live through any of that. And they and they're removed from it. They don't have some of them don't have you know immediate relatives that live through it either. Yeah. At this point and haven't heard the stories and know what it's all about. Yeah, they're virtually how many World War Two vets are are left? We're running and, out. Um yeah, I, I I'll close with this. I have a friend here, a restaurateur, and he found out just before his father died, his father never talked about it. He was in the army in World War Two and was liberated one of the death camps, never talked about it till very soon before his death. It was that, I assume it was that, um, the reports are that it was stunning to American GIs. And these are guys who'd fought for their lives every day for months on end. But we'll see what yeah, the Republicans so. do. I, I would bet you money that, that they will um, reconsider the vote because it's not, this is not, I mean, if I were, this is not a fight they want to have. It's, it's just not going over well. You're right. All right, uh, Scott Braddock of the Quorum Report, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank we'll you. talk to you another time about other sub subjects. And I Absolutely. tell people to uh, subscribe to the Quorum Report, quorumreport.com. Uh, it's got uh, a daily list of uh, articles. They link to articles you can read. And uh, even if there's a paywall, there's a great summary that is free since since you, uh, you're a subscriber. That's how we hook you in. That's right. It's, you know. 
I'm going to stop. Don't. I'm going to stop right there before I get in trouble. Thank you very much, Scott Braddock of The Quorum Report. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710KORV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. I love your show. Hello. Hello. Having our voices heard. That's right. Yeah. You live and you learn. Exactly right. This is our country. Use your heads on this stuff. Bingo. Sick of the talking heads. I agree with you. Talk, 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 talk. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she the judge? Stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only news talk station, News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Not often that you see uh, so graphically how things over there affect us here. And uh, a recent Port Isabel. South Padre Island Press uh, issue. There's a story about a woman. Let's see here. Let me back up. There's an Orthodox Jewish temple on South Padre Island. Don't know them. Don't never met them. Don't know anything about them except their uh, their temple is painted a bright blue. Uh, and I assume the woman quoted in this article goes to that temple, but she's really she's a dual citizen. She has citizenship here and in Israel. So. Uh, she says, when this began, people would ask how I'm doing. At first, I would say, I'm fine, I'm fine, but I'm not fine. How could I be fine? It's time to admit and say out loud that I'm not fine. I can't sleep. I cannot eat. I can't function. I'm worried sick for my family here and in Israel in my other home. It's not safe for us in New York or Israel or anywhere. I'm not even sure we're completely safe here, meaning, I guess, South Padre. I jump at every sound. The uh, temple uh, in McAllen, Temple Emmanuel, which was established right after World War II, uh, started their Be the Light Distinguished Speaker Series this Sunday, uh, featuring Tevi Troy, White House infighting during Israeli wars, a history, and what we should do about it now. And our guest, Dr. Tevi Troy, spent a lot of time working at the highest echelons, highest levels in um, government under George W. Bush. And he's written several books of presidential history, but he started out with a bachelor's in industrial and labor relations from Cornell. And maybe that is helpful, Dr. Troy, in understanding the fighting that goes on in any presidential administration. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Davis. It was a real pleasure to meet you this week at the synagogue in McAllen. Oh, you don't have to say that, but I'm glad you did. So, be true. Um, they're, they're, um, I would, well, let me back up. You have made, you said, 16 trips to Israel. Now, do you make those trips be- because you're Jewish or because you're interested, because you have relatives? I mean, wh- why? I think it's obvious, but I want you to say it. Well, um, I'm not sure it's obvious. I- I've done a variety of trips to Israel for a variety of reasons. When I was the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services in the Bush administration, I led two U.S. delegations to Israel to talk about our uh, our important health partnerships with them on a variety of issues from drug development to uh, bio preparedness. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been on trips uh, just as a tourist. Um, I've been because I have family there. Um, I've been there because it's it's a beautiful place to visit with great food. So uh, I've been there many times for many reasons. And uh, but the trip I was on last week was like no other trip I've been there. 
You said that the Ben Gurion Airport in Israel is typically a very busy airport, which kind of surprised me because I thought some countries wouldn't fly into it. But you said it was like a ghost town this last time. It is one of the most bustling airports I've ever been to around the world. There's always people jostling and long lines to get through immigration. And last week, I just sailed through immigration. It was a, it was a ghost town. It was just eerie. It felt like a post-apocalyptic environment. And uh, it was not a good feeling. I'll take the crowds anytime. <laughs> um, what's your, uh, you touched on it, but um, the, the, the next question I suppose will, will be answered, be asked is, what happened to the Israeli intelligence services, their military? I say they're much vaunted. Uh, I've never heard a, a discouraging word about their, their ability, their capability. But they com apparently completely missed this Hamas thing. So what happened? Yeah. So, look, I worked on uh, biosecurity issues when I was in the Bush administration. And there's a maxim. If you are on the security side of things, you've got to be right every day. If you're yeah. the terrorist, you only have to be right once. And in the, the, the truth is Israeli security, Israeli intelligence keeps Israelis safe every single day. But they failed. They failed miserably on that one day. And the, and the consequences were disastrous. Uh, there, there are indications from the New York Times that uh, they heard about this plan and they just didn't believe that Hamas either had the capacity yeah. or the interest in carrying out. They thought Hamas was a rational actor that wanted economic improvements. They don't want economic improvements. They want death. They want destruction. That's what they're about. And um, Israel kind of lost its, uh, uh, <laughs> lost having the eye on the ball, and it, and the consequences were terrible. I think during your your address, you call them a death cult. Now, can you explain that to people? Are, are they trying to kill? Are they? What are they trying to do? Des destroy Israel? Kill every Jew they can find? Uh, take it over and run it themselves? What's their goal? Yeah, so all those things are true, but I call it a death cult because they say that you Jews love life, we love death. So that, I mean, that's their own rhetoric. I'm not making it up. So from their perspective, when they kill a Jew, it's a win. But when they themselves die, it's also a win because they get to go to whatever martyrology view they have yeah. about um, you know, 72 versions in heaven or, or whatever it is. They, they think death is an improvement for them, and they want that. And they also hate their enemies, and they want death for them, too. So from their perspective, if you want death to yourself and to your enemies, I consider that a death cult. Dr. Tevi Troy is a senior fellow at the Bipartisan Policy Center and a former deputy secretary of Health and Human Services. And uh, he's a best-selling presidential historian, which I wish we had time, but I want to stick to Israel. One of the things that surprised me, uh, and I would say because I'm so well-read, is these— um, these demonstrations in in favor of the Palestinians, you know, leave the Palestinians alone, quit Israel, quit bombing them because the, the 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 bombing and stuff is killing a lot of civilians, not just Hamas terrorist fighters uh, and the Israelis. Uh, but it's gone beyond that now. Uh, do, do you regard these demonstrations, uh, Israel stop? Do you regard that as uh, anti-Semitic or Jew hating? Because there is some Jew hating being evidenced in some of these demonstrations. Sure, not every demonstration that criticizes Israel is Jew hating. I don't think that at all. But many of these demonstrations, we're talking about gas the Jews or from the river to the sea, which is a slogan to exterminate all Jews, to yeah. do to every Jew what was done on October 7th. That I do believe is anti Semitic, and I think it's unacceptable. And you're seeing them 
on these university campuses, including one of the campuses where my son is at, and the Jewish students don't feel safe, and the university is not standing up for them. These universities that have been falling all over themselves on every microaggression, you, you, you get disciplinary action if you call someone with the wrong pronouns. But if you mm-hmm. shout, gas the Jews, or death to the Jews, and actually physically intimidate Jews, uh, you know, there's no consequences. And I, I just think it's wrong. Suddenly, the universities are learning the beauty and the value of free expression only when it comes to spouting anti-Semitic slogans. How did this, uh, I, I assume this is concentrated in the best institutions of higher learning in America, uh, but and, and we don't find it like in West Texas State and Canyon or, or Texas A&M Canyon or, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Where did this come from? If, if you Because if you had a job and you said, I think we ought to, we ought to go back to lynching black people. That's a great idea. Let's do that. I mean, you'd be fired. It just, it wouldn't, it'd be, it's ugly. You Deservedly so. Yeah. But Look, you can uh, say all, all kinds I, I, of I would, Right. I wouldn't call them the, the best universe. I'd call them the most expensive universities. I think we just <laughs> have to change our nomenclature here. So yes, That's the right. most expensive universities are the worst at this. And they are under this really morally depraved idea of oppressors and oppressed. And in their paradigm, Anything that is done to an oppressor, and they get to decide who the oppressors are, is morally justified. And anything that is done by an oppressed person is morally justified. So if they deem that Hamas are the oppressed and, the, and Israel is the oppressors, then anything you could do to them, whether it's rape or beheadings or mass slaughter, that's fine. And it just is such a simplistic and false view that uh, I don't think it captures the reality of the situation, and I think it opens the door to this terrible anti-Semitism we're seeing. There, right after this, there were uh, news stories of uh, prominent wealthy people who'd given up a lot of money, I gather, to schools like um, Penn and Princeton and places like that, and they were writing letters like, you got my last nickel, you're not getting another dime. Not all of them Jews. Uh, what do you think the consequence this will be, in other words, a, a sudden deflation in their bank accounts? Well, look, I don't think these universities with their multi-million dollar endowments are going to go bankrupt or any time, although they will, probably will go whining to the federal government and ask for more money. Mm. But what I do think is that people are going to say, hey, maybe I don't want to send my kids to this environment. It's not just yeah. Jews. I'm talking about anybody, anybody who wants a liberal, open education, who wants to learn about the great ideas of Western civilization in an open way. They're going to say, this is not the place for me, because these, these are basically becoming closed societies where there's only one viewpoint, and yeah. you can't express any other point of view. And that's, that was not my university experience. I'm a conservative, David, as you know. I went to a liberal university, but I was able to say my piece. I was able to have yeah. a conversation with other people. Now you're shut down if you think anything other than the reigning progressive woke orthodoxy. Yeah, I don't know if the listeners, I've read a little bit about it, not, not a lot, but... Um sometimes the strangest deviation from what they regard what they regard as proper just excites them like crazy and they want people fired they want them i guess demoted but they want punishment of some sort over the like the wrong pronoun uh genderizing somebody if i say thank you ma'am and they don't want to be described as ma'am that's a capital offense um what should yeah, but you were raised as a polite person and that's that you're being I, polite i was I was and we had fun with it when I lived in New York City, holding doors open and stuff. But um, <laughs> what should be done? What should trustees 
do? Again, back to the guy, they hire a guy, maybe he's got tenure and he says, we ought to go back to lynching people. That's a great idea. The trustees wouldn't put up with that. They put pressure on them. So what should be done? Right. Obviously, or I think, I think it. heads need to roll, but I'm not in charge. Look, I think we need to have fewer of these administrators I and mean, these DEI administrators are some of the most anti-Israel, anti-Semitic people on campus. I think you need to have um, more ideological diversity. I mean, these people jump up and down about diversity all day long, but they never allow a conservative to be in the faculty lounge. And you just need to have these more open environments. And I think the trustees can demand it. And, you know, you, you don't get to be yeah. a trustee by not giving money to these universities. I mean, there's a way, that, you know, there's a way they get on there and they have some leverage. And I think everybody who... Um, either thinks about sending their kids to the school or thinks about donating to the school or your taxpayer dollars go to these schools, you need to rise up and ask some questions. I, mean, I just think All that right. uh, these universities are not doing their job. Dr. Tevi Troy, thank you for your time. We appreciate it and stay safe. You out there are listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 17KORV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Sunday at Archer Park, which is downtown McAllen, uh, from 3 to 6, and it'll be nice. The weather will be nice. Uh, the uh, annual menorah lighting will be held. Uh, the city of McAllen is sponsoring this and i don't know how long it's been going on but here to tell us about it is chabad rgv rabbi asher heck thank you for uh for being with us rabbi thank you for having me david so uh tell us what's going to happen and what is hanukkah so with uh, um, hanukkah is the holiday that celebrates a great miracle that happened to the jewish people a little over two thousand years ago where the Syrian Greeks wanted to sort of eliminate and abolish Jewish practice and and the Jewish settlement of Jews in Israel and the and the religion mm-hmm. and uh, two great miracles happened uh, there was a small group of men called the Maccabees who took on the great uh, Greek army yeah. of tens of thousands and they were victorious over the the few against the many, we call it. And then huh. they came back to the temple to dedicate it and to light the menorah, the candelabra in the temple. And it was only enough oil to last one night and God made a miracle and it lasted eight nights. And this is in very short, the holiday of Hanukkah celebrates freedom. It, it celebrates the ability to be able to freely live as uh, your religious choice and to know that when you do that, even if you're a few, and even if there are tremendous challenges, on uh, the side of truth, God is always standing right there. It it uh, 
Am I right? It signifies uh, God's provision, God's protection uh, of, of the Jewish people? That's exactly, exactly. You know, this is uh, another holiday where Jewish people celebrate the protection and the miracles and the salvation that God brought for us. And uh, like the promise that no matter uh, how great the enemy would be, the Jewish people would always survive. And uh, in Archer Park, to answer your second question, we're going to be celebrating Hanukkah. This is a festivity for the entire community. It's open to the public. Free of charge, where Chabad RGV, together with the city of McAllen, puts on a beautiful festival with rides and music and jelly donuts and custard donuts and just lots and lots of fun, uh, face painting and wax hands. <laughs> and the city official will light the, the, the official city menorah and uh, we're going to have a good time. So please, all listeners out there, join us 3 to 6 p.m this Sunday at Archer Park. We're talking with um, with Rabbi at Chabad RGV, uh, I think your third generation rabbi, uh, Asher Hecht. Um, yeah, third, what's the third role? generation, what's, that's correct. American rabbis, the, third generation of American rabbis. Oh, there's more in your background? I'm sure, I'm sure if we go back many generations, we'll find <laughs> a lot of rabbis, but <laughs> three generations of American rabbis. Um, what what's the role of of the rabbi uh, in a synagogue? The rabbi's role is to teach and inspire uh, fellow community members to strengthen their relationship with God and to bring light into their own lives and to the world around them. So we're we're there as teachers and hopefully we're ambassadors of light. We we try to inspire others. To, in this world that has mm -hmm. many distractions, to stay focused on your godly life. Do you feel uh, n now with uh, I don't I don't know how if this is an existential uh, fight in Israel or one that's destined to end uh, with an Israeli victory or at least not a loss? Do you feel a special? role or do people stop you or does that this come up uh, in your daily life uh, yesterday i gave the invocation at the edinburgh city council mm -hmm. and right after me a woman got up to speak about some of her concerns in the city and some things that she you know did like or didn't mm -hmm. like and what i found most amazing at the end of her speech unrelated to my presence or anything she had spoken about, she says, I, and I want to say out loud that I support Israel. And <laughs> I thought that was amazing. I really thought that was amazing. That came out of nowhere. Like this wasn't a, this wasn't a gathering for Israel or a religious yeah. gathering. It was a regular city meeting. So I am, I am getting that, and I think that's beautiful. And I think the more people speak up, uh, the more history will show that in moments like this, um, people were on the right side of history. Uh, well, I think the, the answer to this next question is obvious uh, because we're talking about it. But uh, this uh, menorah lighting Sunday from three to six with, you know, carnival rides, stuff for the kids, kosher hot dogs. Um, everybody's <laughs> welcome. Christians are welcome. People. Everyone, no this, is, this is one event that we open to the public, Jews and non-Jews. 
We usually get a very nice crowd. It's very well received. The message of Hanukkah is, is not uniquely Jewish. It's a universal message for everyone. Mm. It's about bringing more light into the world. And I think especially today, that's the message that we want to hear. That's the message we want to give off. That's what public events should empower others to, to do today. And that's what it's all about. It's about extending your love, your kindness, your beauty, your talents to the world around you. And like we have a saying, a little bit of light uh, banishes a lot of darkness and the world needs mm -hmm. light, everyone's light. Rabbi, with any yeah. luck at all, if you believe in luck, uh, we'll see you Sunday afternoon at uh, Archer Park. Starts at three, goes to six. The uh, annual Hanukkah and Menorah lighting ceremony with Chabad RGV and well, people from the city of Macallan. Thank you very much, Rabbi. We'll talk with you another time. You are listening, you guys, to Seven Ten KRV, the Nine Five Six Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Nine Five Six Drive Home on News Talk Seven Ten KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.